everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Take This Job and Love It. This is a podcast from Yale's Office of Career Strategy, aimed at helping you through the various aspects of finding a job and building a career that you love. My name is Claire Zala, and I'm a senior in Yale College. I work with the Common Good and Creative Career Team to support Yale students interested in pursuing careers that make a difference and encourage creativity. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by Earl Martin Phelan. Earl has dedicated his life to children's education, helping historically underserved students grow as scholars and expand their opportunities in life. He was the co-founder and CEO of Bell, Building Educated Leaders for Life, and he's the founder and CEO of Summer Advantage USA, which provides high quality summer learning programs to children. Most recently in 2012, he became founder and CEO of the George and Veronica Phelan Leadership Academies, a network of K through eight blended learning charter schools, which serve serves 10,000 scholars in 22 schools across the country. Earl was awarded the President's Service Award for Outstanding Community Service and has also received honors and recognition from the American Red Cross, Black Entertainment Television, and Fast Company Magazine. He holds a bachelor's degree from Yale and a law degree from Harvard. Thank you so much for being here today, Earl. My pleasure, Claire. Thanks for having me. Just starting really broadly, could you please tell us more about your work with Summer Advantage and PLA? How do you define the goal of each organization and how does it achieve it? Sure, I mean, the goal of Summer Advantage was to address summer learning loss and keep children growing during the summer. So we felt like the agrarian calendar uh, doesn't make sense for all of, of our country's children. And so we created Summer Advantage for mostly or in urban communities, um, mostly serving low-income uh, scholars. And so the, the, the notion of, hey, you can go out and play is not the same as it used to be or um, because kids have to stay in most of the time and they're playing video games all summer. And the notion of, hey, you know, so-and-so will, will cook you breakfast and lunch. Well, a lot of our scholars live in food deserts and so they were going hungry. So we said, what if we took the best of, of, of summer school, which is high quality teachers teaching rigorous curriculum in the morning combine that with the best of summer camps, which is enrichment and field trips and community service projects and make that into summer advantage. And so uh, we're blessed to do that. Uh, we've, we've served, I think a little over 50,000 scholars uh, since we founded it in, um, back in 2008 and 2009. And our goal is that our scholars grow by two months reading, writing and math skills every summer uh, as opposed to having that two month loss and that they have a really fun summer experience with their peers and they expand their imaginations about who they can be. So that's uh, summer advantage. And then at a certain point, we became um, frustrated that um, we were going into uh, uh, failing schools and running this great summer program. And the teachers were saying, I want this to be my school. And the parents were saying, I want it to be my school. And the teachers and the, and the scholars were saying they wanted it to be their school. And at a certain point, we said, you know what, I think we have enough excellence within our program that we could make it a full year school. And that was the birth of um, the Phelan Leadership Academies named after my um, mom and dad or PLA. Awesome. And I've heard uh, you mentioned before that um, love has to be at the center of any educational program. Could you speak a little more to that and how that plays into your approach? Yeah, you know, the old adage, um, kids don't, uh, children don't, uh, care how much that you know until they know how much you care. And so we came out of, you know, in law school, we created, as you mentioned, Bell, and that was a mentoring program. 
and mentoring was kind of big in the, the 80s and 90s as a critical way to engage young people. It was not academic at all. It was all about building relationships. And from those relationships, then more things opened, opened up, uh, trust and effort and, and uh, many other things opened up from there. And so to us, that, that kind of background of you, you've got to love our scholars. You, you, you have to believe in their futures. You have to help them see in the same way that people did with me when I was younger, they saw a brighter future for me than I did, right? And so that's part of that, that love and, and they held me accountable. Um, but there was a lot of joy. There was a lot of laughter. There was a lot of uh, helping me form my beliefs. And so that's what we try to do for our, our scholars. Sometimes our scholars see things around them and believe uh, only X, Y, Z is possible. Our, our president at our high school uh, in Indianapolis said, you know, before PLA came, he really thought that he'd be working as a, as, um, a cashier at McDonald's or the, the Pizza Hut. And he never knew that college was possible for him. He never knew that he actually could be a good student. And now he'll tell you what his GPA is. Um, he never ever thought about running for, for class government. He always was the class clown and was always getting in fights and skipping school and doing other bad things. So I think that that love that I, I can see something in you, uh, maybe slightly before you even see it in yourself, and I'm going to help you on your journey to be your best self. Uh, that's at the center of all of our our schools and all of our uh, summer programs. That's amazing. And I think it's very clear that you've had some really amazing success. I mean, PLA has transformed, is it six F-rated schools into A-rated schools um, over the course of its, uh, its tenure, I suppose? Yeah, we're, we're, we're proud of our scholars. You know, um, you start with, as you said, the, the structure and there has to be the right culture and climate. Uh, for a school or for any community to to exist, um, and then you start to get children exposed to what's possible for them. We were blessed last summer. We had a uh, 25 just incredible guest speakers come in. It was the the first doctor who had separated co-joined twins in Haiti. Uh, it was an Obama appointed federal judge. It was the D.C. District Attorney. Uh, it was several entrepreneurs, actor from Greenleaf, and and. Um, uh, Stephen Colbert show, uh, Louis Fauci, his saxophonist, and they just came in and said, this is where I started, and this is where I got to, and this is how I did it. You started to hear these consistent themes of what do you do if, if you're maybe coming up in a little bit tougher piece, how do you win, and, and how do you win in, in life, and how do you set high goals, and so that becomes what we, that's sort of what we do with our scholars academically, so that they start to see, I mean, that's why we call them scholars, right? We don't call them kids, we don't call them children, we call them students, we call them scholars, because we know that they have the intellectual prowess within them that's innate within them but they got to put in the work and they got to believe in themselves and they got to get feedback and then they got to put in the work and et cetera et cetera so i love to see our, our scholars uh the light go off that they are smart and and that they can use their mind and they can use education to create uh the type of future that they desire is that i'm curious is that um like like how you define success is it you know, it's probably a combination of the more intangible, um, inspiring kids and seeing that light go off, um, but also hitting these educational milestones. Like, how do you kind of personally define success for yourself and for your organization? Yeah, you hit it perfectly. I mean, it has to be both. So, you know, as you shared, we've gotten six schools from F to, to A, we've gotten three schools from D to B. So that's great. That means students are showing growth. Um, but coming from the communities that our scholars do, um, proficiency matters, right? So growth is I'm growing, growing, growing. But if you if your school started 4% proficiency, 
we might have two years, three years of, of double digit growth, but still only 22% of the, the scholars, 24% of the scholars can read or write or compute proficiently. And we know that if our scholars don't master those skills, they're not gonna be able to use education to either get the job with that kind of high demand uh, career that pays kind of 30 to 55,000 as a starter or get to college and, and be successful in college. And so we see it on both ways. We, on the academic side, we say, hey, it's nice to see the growth uh, and we have to help our scholars be able to use kind of the American dream, right? Which is you can use education to change your future. Well, you can't if you if you're, uh, can't read and write uh, it's very, very hard to use education to change your future if you can't compute or analyze data critically. Um, and so that's what we're trying to give our scholars. And then the other piece, which I think oftentimes gets pulled out of education is, um, you know, the characteristics like uh, empathy and joy and love and uh, perseverance. And so we want our scholars to have the type of character that they care about um, their fellow brothers and sisters. And I mean that you know, globally. Mm. And I'm curious, in what ways have you had to adapt your approach during the pandemic, which I know has been a huge challenge for educational systems everywhere? Yeah, it's, it's you know, we did three things, um, you know, last year, right about this time. Um, first, we said, hey, we got to take care of the academic needs of our scholars. And um, we were less than 10% of our scholars had devices and connectivity in their in their homes. So we said, well, we can't have a solution that is, is a computer. So we went out and ordered a whole bunch of you know, 10,000 uh, computers and iPads. And, but it, while we were waiting for them to come, we said, all right, we're gonna get you paper packets. And oh, by the way, we understand that school is a place of nutrition for many of our scholars. So when you come by, uh, you can get food for your whole family. Uh, for a week, and then we'll give you your homework packets, essentially. But that's not instruction. That assumes that you know the skill. Um, and, and, and if you don't know the skill and you don't know uh, how to do you know, double-digit addition with carryover, well, you're just going to get it all wrong when you hand it in next week to come, when you come through the line. So we then pivoted pretty quickly and said, well, all of our families have, 99.9% um, uh, .9 of our families have a smart uh, device. So what if we can create mini lessons uh, not too dissimilar from Khan Academy, but what we wanted to do is we wanted the scholars to see their teachers' faces so they still had that connection. And so we created many lessons from grades K all the way through. And, um, and then scholars would do that for 15 minutes and we gave them notebooks and other stuff so that they could work on their uh, assignments uh, at the end of each of those mini lessons. That worked well. And then the final thing we did is we finally got the technology so that we could actually do synchronous instruction with our scholars. The, the piece that I look back on that I missed on, we kind of said academics first, uh, hunger, no, we said hunger and nutrition first, uh, academic second, social emotional third. And I wish we would have put the social emotional actually ahead of uh, the academics. It wasn't from malintent, uh, but um, this was a stressful period with obviously with the pand pandemic. Uh, then you had George Floyd uh, being murdered and many others, and that playing over 3,000 uh, times on television that our scholars had to uh, watch um, Mr. Floyd be murdered. And so we should have done the social piece because school is such a center of, of community for our scholars. It's such a place of, of growth and identity. It's such a place of, of love for our scholars that they really miss that. And so I wish we had done the social emotional second and the academic third, but, um, but obviously we, were, we did the best with responding to the crisis that we could. And we ultimately, 
uh, got to the social emotional piece that scholars were doing things fun, they were doing things with the teachers, they were doing things with their classmates, clubs were coming to life. So we got there eventually, but it, but it took us a month. Yeah, I mean, nobody's tried to build an educational curriculum during a, a pandemic before. So I think, I think given that you were not probably uh, prepared for it, I think it sounds like you did a really um, awesome and thoughtful job. Um, so I'd actually like to take a, a step back and talk uh, more about your journey personally. Um, when you're a double Ivy League graduate, like you were yourself, um, the world's your oyster. And I'm, I'm curious, what drew you to working with children specifically? Yeah, so my mom had me when she was 16 and she was she decided she wasn't in a place to raise me. So she put me into uh, foster care in Massachusetts, here in Massachusetts. And at the time, there was a statistic in the Boston Globe that said 70% of black boys would end up in prison, who were in Massachusetts foster care, would end up in prison sometime, you know, by the time they were 24. And so obviously my path was uh, made completely different by my parents, George and Veronica Phelan, my mom and dad, who decided to bring me in after having seven children naturally born of their own. Um, they decided that they could uh, raise an eighth. And, you know, and obviously that changed my uh, life trajectory. So children have always been really important. Uh, there are now 54 grandchildren and great grandchildren in my family. So children have always been important. Um, and just knowing how one decision by my parents uh, forever changed my life. Um, it's just kind of made me passionate about social change and social justice. I think also religiously, you know, we were always taught that, you know, my, my parents would be more upset. I mean, I didn't, I didn't steal, but my parents would be more upset if I didn't help somebody who was getting picked on or bullied than if I went and stole something. And again, I didn't steal, but that would upset them more. <laughs> that I walked by a situation or didn't step in or didn't try to advocate. And so my mom was always, you know, very, very passionate about you help those who, who sometimes um, they have voice, but maybe sometimes don't know how to express their voice or don't feel confident standing up for themselves. And so I think that kind of upbringing and all those different factors had me very clear as early, early as third grade that I wanted to affect social change somehow. And I didn't know how I would do that. Um, but um, I uh, took a year between undergrad and law school because I was really tired at the end of um, when I graduated and didn't want to go through the rigors of first year law school tired. I wanted to have energy. Yeah. And I worked, I worked for a homeless shelter down in Washington, D.C. And so whereas younger or when I was younger, I thought I was going to be a politician to affect change. That year of working at Luther Place Shelter um, and direct service an assistant director of a homeless shelter with some of the most incredible people that I've ever met, the women who lived at the shelter, uh, changed my perspective that I wanted to do direct service. And so I pivoted and when I got to, to Harvard, we started Bell and then that became, wait a second, this is absolutely my calling to uh, serve, serve children. Your parents sound like really wonderful people. I can see why you wanted to name the, um, the organization after them. Yeah. Um, I'm also uh, curious, so, so graduating Yale, you, you weren't really sure that, or you didn't exactly know what you wanted to do, um, but you went out and got some you know, practical experience in the field you were interested in. Um, is that something that you would recommend for students who are interested in um, nonprofit work? Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, you know, to be candid, when I was at Yale, I really didn't do that much other than, you know, I mean, obviously, classes and did fairly well. 
um, played um, touch football. We brought, you know, brought home the championship for two years to Jonathan Edwards College. So I was very proud of that. Um, JE was an arts, was very much artsy when I when I arrived, and then we happened to get a lot of athletes in the group and who weren't very who weren't very artistic, but um, we had a lot of fun with that. And then, um, um, but that's really what I and then spent time with my friends and I and I played basketball. But that's really kind of what I did. I didn't do a lot of giving back. I didn't spend a lot of time volunteering. And I sort of I don't I don't have I don't live life backwards, so I don't wouldn't say I regret it. But I, I just didn't. I was very kind of focused on myself uh, and my friends. And it was I loved jail. It, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Um, when I after the year of service, that's when I started realizing volunteering at the Boys and Girls Club afternoons would would be something that would be forever part of my journey moving forward. In between my first year of law school and my second year, I went to one of my mentors. And I said, I'm never going to work a law firm. That culture isn't right for me. It's right for some people. It's just not right for me. And so uh, he said, well, the second summer, you should go work at a firm because you have to experience it. But first summer, why don't you go do something unique? And I and, uh, ended up going to work at the uh, in Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica, at the, uh, Mac, at the uh, Jamaica Council for Human Rights. And to be honest with you, that also, that experience really, really shaped kind of how I, we were doing um, um, pre police brutality and, and uh, habeas corpus death, death row piece. But um, that experience of working in Kingston and kind of seeing politics and seeing the world a little bit differently than I saw it, you know, because most of my time had been in the U.S., um, um, and it certainly never had a summer experience in a different part of the in, in a different part of the world. So I think any time that you can either volunteer, travel, take on a unique experience as it relates to something like the the thing I the piece I did down in Jamaica, I think it broadens who you are and then helps really tap into wow, I really don't like this or wow, I really, really love this and I want to make sure that my life is is my life's work. It has these elements largely in them. I, absolutely. And on a, on a similar note, do you think that there are certain qualities that really help, um, you know, uh, people in general, but especially new graduates um, do, doing nonprofit work? Yeah, I think that, you know, clearly there's the fundamental hard skills of writing, communicating effectively, Re, you know, ability to research and understand an issue. So there's clearly that piece. I think the other piece is, and I'm not saying I had it, but I think having humility as as one goes into the, the work, uh, because especially the nonprofit sector, um, uh, we're all people, so we all have our strengths and we all have our weaknesses. Um, many of those in the nonprofit are really trying to make a substantive difference. They really are mission driven and trying to make the world a better place. And so having humility for those who have uh, served is probably the, the second piece. But then the third piece is, you know, at the end of the day, um, collaboration, teamwork, those, those skills um, really, really set you up if you're able to work well with others. And, and it sounds like a small thing, but, you know, my organization, PLA, now has over a thousand employees, and I can tell you that's not everybody all the time gets along with everybody, and um, and it and the work feels better and much more is accomplished when you have that kind of teamwork, uh, collaborative spirit. Not that I mean, not that you don't have um, bumps with people sometimes, but long-winded answer. But yeah, I think some of those skills would help you be successful uh, in the nonprofit 
uh, sector. And then volunteering, just volunteering for different assignments, right? I, I never knew how to read a profit and loss statement, uh, you know, and my dad was a banker. And so he was disgusted by the fact I couldn't read a, a financial and, and X, Y, and Z. And then finally, you know, I volunteered a little bit and somebody's like, all right, this, this is how it works. And, and it's, it's whatever, it's math. So you, it's pretty simple math, actually. And so you figure it out. So volunteering for things that are maybe outside your comfort, uh, comfort zone are also uh, really important. Oh, that's so true. And um, just to my, my final question today is something I like to end um, my conversations with. Um, and it is, what are your hopes for the future? Um, you know, given, given what's been happening recently in the world, um, my greatest hope is that uh, we see one another truly as brothers and sisters. Um, and um, the the separation, the kind of divisiveness that, that the last four years and maybe more have brought, um, I think has done a, has put a pretty big scar on our country. And I think if we can start to see one another as human beings, as brothers and sisters, um, and whatever your one's faith or, or non-faith piece is, and that we should do unto others as, as we would like them to do unto us, uh, that would be my greatest aspiration for, for the world. Thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed speaking with you and learning about your project. Um, everybody, that was Earl Martin Phelan of the Summer Advantage uh, USA and George and Veronica Phelan Leadership Academies. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you.